Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do, 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 final two mysteries. Final two mysteries. That's the official song, indeed. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our interchangeable friends and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, and I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week, you might know them as the dynamic duo from Pod and Prejudice. It is Molly and Becca. Molly and Becca, how is it going? Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so good. We're so excited to be here. (laughs) We're having a ball already. Good. I am very (laughs) excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming. I'm very excited to not only have you on the pod in general, but to have you on for the first ever episode with this particular mystery series. And I've kept it a secret thus far because I wanted this reveal to be live on the audio. We have never done these mystery books before. Many people have suggested them to us. And because you two do podcasts about Jane Austen literature and just powerful women, I thought, what better mystery series to do than the American Girl mini mystery (gasps) series? And this is the first episode of that ever on Meddling Adults. And I am so stoked. I almost just burst into tears. (laughs) I love American Girl. Yes. I'm just out here ascending. This is fabulous. (laughs) So here's how the game works. I'm going to recap four mysteries from the American Girl mini mystery series, not the big ones, the mini ones. And hopefully neither of you have read them before, or at least you won't remember them. Maybe if you are American Girl super fans, which it sounds like you are, you already know everything. But I will lay out all of the clues. I'll ask you for your accusations and each correct guess will earn you points. There's also bonus points at stake if your guess either matches my incorrect guess for a Misery Loves Company bonus point, or if you just do anything particularly funny, or if there's a super off the wall guess that I like I give out bonus points as I see fit it's 2023 we got to shake things up to make life worth living so (laughs) I throw bonus points out there and at the end of these four mysteries we will see whoever has the most points and they will earn money for the charity of their choosing so speaking of those charities why don't we learn about what organizations you two will be playing for so Becca who are you playing for today hi Mike (laughs) (laughs) um That was very formal of you. I'm coming off of like my day job, so I'm a little like, oh, hello. Please welcome me to your podcast. Um, (laughs) So um, I'm playing today for the Against Malaria Foundation, which is a foundation that is very, very focused in its goal to prevent death from malaria around the world. They work in currently 36 different countries mostly around the equator in Asia, Africa, and South America, and they deliver mosquito nets that are treated with insecticides to families in need, and they're focused on an equitable approach to preventing malaria. So they're a very good bang for your buck when it comes to helping people, and I'm really excited to represent them on this podcast. 
That's fantastic. I'm glad that you have picked them. We've never had that charity or a charity like that, so I love that a lot. I think it's good that they have a stance against malaria. It would be weird if you were playing for pro-malaria. <laughs> Molly, who are you playing for this episode? So I just want to say I think that is a great cause, and I think that we both picked great causes, and I am really excited for whoever wins. I <laughs> am going to be playing on behalf of New York Bully Crew, which is a nonprofit that pulls bully breeds from kill shelters and rescues them off the street and then acts as like a foster agency and adoption agency. Um, so they rehabilitate pit bulls and other bully breeds. They specialize in pit bulls, but they will not turn any dog away. And they are on Instagram. And I really love following them because the dogs are really sweet and they all have really sweet stories. And I love pit bulls. So I thought, why not try to protect them on the pod? That's great. I love that. That makes more sense as an organization, as someone that would help bully dogs, as opposed to like a crew of bullies in New York <laughs> doing some sort of good. You know, maybe it's just they all like go outside of Eric Adams's mansion and yell at him. Yeah, they just like <laughs> egg his house. Yeah. Which is always a good thing to do. Bullying bad politicians. Highly recommend. Can't yeah. recommend that enough. So, so just to be clear on the pod, we love pit bulls, mm -hmm. hate bullies, and are against malaria. Yes. It's we're really hot stances here today <laughs> on Meddling Adults. Really, you know, really with the fiery takes. We're going to hear back from the, you know, malaria crowd on Twitter being like, oh, my gosh, how dare they? <laughs> Now, the only other thing I left out of the rules is that if we are at a tie at the end of these rounds, we will break the tie in the only fitting way with sudden death riddles. But we'll see if it even gets to that. Before we put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery, I would love to ask the two of you, what's your history with either mystery series in general or specifically American Girl, the American Girl big mysteries, the mini mysteries, just if you have the dolls and their overpriced hats, what's up with mysteries and such or American Girls for the two of you? When I was growing up, I enjoyed mystery books quite a bit. I read a lot of the Nancy Drew books, and I read a lot of the Boxcar Children books. I don't know if you've done any of those Boxcar Children books, but they are a weird vibe because it starts with, like, a bunch of orphans during the Depression looking for a home. And, like, spoiler alert, at the end of the first Boxcar Children book, they find a home. And then there's just, like, 30 books that follow that are just them living with their rich grandfather and solving mysteries. I did not know that part of the Boxcar Children, and I did read the Boxcar Children. So, like, you read the first Boxcar Children book, right? Yeah, but to be honest, this all, you know how I am with plots and things. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's really <laughs> beneficial to our podcast where she can't have spoilers for 19th century books. But <laughs> the Boxcar Children had like a long following after their first book where they were just solving mysteries for funsies. And I loved those. I loved Scooby-Doo and I loved Nancy Drew. I can't say that I know the American Girl Doll mysteries, so these should be new for me, but I did have an obsession with the dolls and I did buy the expensive hats for the dolls nice. with my allowance money. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I'm familiar with the boxcar children. People request the boxcar children on this podcast, but when you have the mystery series where it's an entire book of one mystery, it is just very hard to know what's going to work or not. If you're doing an encyclopedia Brown mystery or one of these, it's four pages or so. So if you read a four page story and it doesn't work, no big deal. But if you invest reading an entire one of those books, whether it's me or our producer Sherry, it is just, uh, a big time suck to read a book for, you know, even these kids books like it's, you know, if you do a whole hour like, oh, no, that didn't work. It's uh, not the best. So maybe 
in the future we could do a boxcar children, but I feel like it would take people specifically knowing what stories would work for the show. And if you do know that, hit me up, meddlingadults at gmail.com. Anyway, Molly, how about you? So in terms of the American Girl dolls, I don't know the mysteries, or at least if I have read them, I don't remember them because I was very young. But as my name is Molly, I, of course loved the Molly books. I didn't actually, I don't think I had an American Girl doll for the reaction that I had earlier. (laughs) I I didn't actually have an American Girl doll, but I had all the Molly books and I liked the stories that went along with them. And I liked going to the American Girl doll store in Times Square. It was very exciting, but I more was into the vibe of the American Girl dolls, like the like historical vibe of it. And because I like to self-insert and all of that. So love American Girl Dolls. Don't know what we're getting ourselves into. I'm very excited about it. Mystery. I wouldn't say that I was like highly invested in mysteries as a child, but I do like to try to figure out riddles. And I like books where there's going to be a... I I guess I like mystery books. I was going to start describing (laughs) the genre. Books where there's some sort of dastardly deed that happens and people are (laughs) trying to understand who was responsible for it. (laughs) Right. And there's like maybe hints scattered throughout. Like I do like that. So like as a child, maybe not so much, but now I enjoy it. Okay. I'm very excited. I'm also glad you brought up the Times Square American Girl doll store because I do remember distinctly as a kid once, me and my buddy Connor, we both had older sisters who were much more invested in American Girl dolls. I guess much more would be we were not invested at all, but we did have to go to the store. And I don't know if anyone remembers, but when you go to the store, you like can pick the things you want to buy, but you get these little like slips of paper and then you would bring it to the cash register and then they would get them. It's kind of like when you get big stuff from Ikea and you just go at the end and then they get it from the warehouse or whatever. Connor and I were trying to acquire as many of these slips as we could, even though we had no intention of buying any things. And some workers there definitely caught on to our scheme. They were like, you really want Felicity's bonnet? Like, yeah, for sure. Of course we do. (laughs) It's honestly sexist of them to assume otherwise. I mean, they did still give it to us, but they at least questioned us. But yeah, you're right. I should have been way more mad at age nine. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, now we can put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery, which is called The Original Boston Brook. Now, what I will say about the American Girl Mysteries, there's a group of like six friends and they're all the same. Like, I don't know any different. Like, obviously, they have different names and they look different in the illustrations and stuff. But for the purposes of these stories that I've read, I get no sense of it matters if Marie is in this story versus Noelle in the other story. So for the (laughs) most part, you can just kind of delete their names and they can just be the American girls. Now, there are apparently some overarching plot things that Sherry has told me while she was reading these in production prep for these episodes. (laughs) But my general understanding from what I've read, it does doesn't matter. (laughs) They just solve mysteries and it's just a ripoff of Encyclopedia Brown. But here we go. I'm ready. This is called the original Boston Brook. So there's a moving van parked outside of the old Benson house on Ivy Street in Marie's neighborhood. The vibe that I got from Sherry when I asked her, what do you think about where they live? She said it's in any town, small town America, but it seems like it's in the Northeast just based on vibes. So they don't give a specific location. It also doesn't really matter. So I mean, the title the, is Boston, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why I asked just because of the Boston. I was like, oh, do they have a particular town? And she was like, I don't think so. I think it's just any town in America, whereas cool. Encyclopedia Brown, we all know, canonically lives in a fictional town in Florida, which makes all of the crimes make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Florida man, Florida young boy. Exactly. 
So there's a moving van parked at the old Benson house on Ivy Street in Marie's neighborhood. There are people gathered out helping them carry in couches, tables, beds, an organ, all this stuff. I need to move to this town where the neighbors help you move for free. Right. This sounds like the best place to live. That happened to me in New York City. Wow. I swear to God. Okay, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, I did move into a New York City apartment and get helped by my neighbor because my couch didn't fit through the door in a very classic New York City way. And Mm -hmm. it is not one of those couches you can just take apart. So I had to take the door off the hinge (gasps) and it took me, my boyfriend, the super and my neighbor shoving the couch through the door to get it to finally go through. And when I saw him again in the in the hallway, like a month later, he goes, don't ever get rid of that couch. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. That's New York City. I definitely have helped people carry very large objects onto subways, just finagling very long metal objects. I feel like someone was carrying what looked like a lamppost onto (laughs) a subway and just everyone helped them because that's it. And we don't ask questions. We just help people. No eye contact, but a lot of help. Of course. So this town helping them unload all of the stuff. Now, the neighborhood kids, the American girl kids are there and they meet a girl their age, which is vaguely middle school. So Marie is there. She introduces herself. She's also with Noel, Haley, and Megan. It does not matter that they are here. This new girl <laughs> introduces herself as Brooke, and the others start asking her questions, just trying to get to know her better. So Brooke says that she just moved from Boston. She's in the fifth grade, and she lives with her grandparents because her parents are dead. Why she felt the need to say this in the introductory meeting, I do not know, but she put that detail right out there immediately. She said that her grandpa just retired and they're moving because her grandparents wanted to move to a smaller town. Marie asks what her grandpa used to do before retiring, and Brooks says that he played for the Boston Red Sox. No way. Well, we'll have to see. I don't trust Brooke. <laughs> She's full I mean, I don't trust shit. her grandpa. <laughs> he played for the Red Sox, the worst team ever? Ugh, gross. Also, don't you, like, retire really early when you play sports? So is her grandpa, like, 30? They don't say his exact age, but they do get into the details of his playing. So everyone is shocked. And then Noel says, your grandpa played for a professional baseball team. And Brooks says, yes, he was good, the best. He also played for the Yankees, the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Blue Jays. At one time or another, he played for every team in the American League. He played for 40 years. So for anyone that isn't a big baseball fan, she is claiming that he has played for 15 teams over the course of 40 years, which is... Not normal in baseball, so it does have a little bit of hmm to it. Haley says that no one can play that long, but Brooke insists that he did. Megan says that it's impossible because he would have been worn out way before 40 years, but Brooke says that the only time he complained was with arthritis in his fingers, but he didn't have any other problems. Megan accuses Brooke of lying. Haley thinks she's just joking, but Brooke insists that she is telling the truth. But Marie realizes that Brooke isn't lying. She just omitted an important detail. So I turn it over to the two of you. How did Marie know that Brooke wasn't lying? And what was the detail that she left out? You said that he had arthritis, In his fingers, and that's why he had to stop? Yes. And that he was a player for the team. Just said he played for teams. Is he the water boy? Okay, okay. That could be the guess. I won't answer until Becca has laid forth hers, if that's your final guess answer. Was he a gambler? It feels a little raunchy for American girls, but if he played the teams, (laughs) played the slots. (laughs) Well, okay. I like where your head's at. You're both wrong, though. He was the organ player. He played for teams. 
He had arthritis in his fingers, and one of the things that they were getting out of the moving van was in Oregon. So yeah. Did they Brooke's say not that? not a liar. Yep. What? But I said it all quick like in the beginning, oh so it wouldn't gosh. be too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question about this. Sure. We don't have a place per se that this takes place. Do we have a time frame? Because uh, I will say, as a baseball fan, organ players is definitely a thing. Still? Still to this day. Oh, yeah. They just have the people playing, take me out to the ball game, all that good stuff. They still rock organs today. So, yeah, I knew that one super easily because I'm a big baseball nerd, but (laughs) I didn't know if that was just general knowledge or not. But when she kept saying play, 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 well, really what made me really suspicious was that he played for every team over a 40-year span. I was like, that's impossible. That is way too specific. There's no way someone could play for every team. That's ridiculous. Yeah, my guess, well, I wrote down Angels in the Outfield, Field of Dreams. Is he a ghost? But... um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, you will get a bonus point for writing that. So you yes. do have a commanding one to zero lead. <laughs> That's actually pretty valid. I like ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so now we will get into our second mystery, which is called Play With Your Feud, which is a pun, and it makes me very excited that though these are Encyclopedia Brown-style mysteries, they are taking the Scooby-Doo approach of having a lot of pun-based titles. So really get a best-of-both-worlds situation here with the American Girl Mysteries. I have lots of high hopes for their future on episodes of Meddling Adults. So play with your feud begins, and it says that the spring play rehearsal is going poorly. The backdrops aren't ready. The actors don't have all their lines memorized, and there's a lot of tension. Hope and Sage, two girls in the play, refuse to work with each other. They are the stars of the play, which is called The Pet Shop. Hope is playing a cat, and Sage is playing a mouse. Mrs. Mahoney, who is the director, asks the girls to calm down and to stop fighting. And apparently she's been the volunteer director for the school spring play for 35 years. She's very sweet. She's very patient. But apparently she is quite bad at conflict resolution. (laughs) Hope and Sage refuse to rehearse if they have to look at each other. And I'm very confused as to how this play could go this far. And they're just realizing this now since the play is supposed to be tomorrow. (laughs) The other students in the play are getting frustrated because none of them can rehearse if the two stars of the play won't contribute to the rehearsal. Megan, one of the other friends, suggests that they rehearse with their eyes closed. But Sage says that she doesn't trust Hope to keep her eyes closed and she doesn't want her looking at her at all. So she thinks she's going to open her eyes and look at her and that's just a no-go for Sage. I feel like she doesn't trust Sage to not look at her, but like, can she also like not trust that neither of them will fall off the stage. <laughs> right. Also, is anybody else picking up like a vibe between Hope and Sage? Like, I Absolutely. think lovers tiff. Yeah. Gay? Yeah, gay. <laughs> 100%. I'm going to give Becca a bonus point for romantic intrigue that I did not see coming, but is now my headcanon. So it's now tied. <laughs> There's some underlying <laughs> stuff in the American Girl canon for sure. <laughs> Something is up. Mrs. Mahoney asks if they can pretend to like each other since they are actors, which I think is an incredible suggestion for Mrs. Mahoney, but that doesn't work. Hope and Sage deny it. Noelle suggests that they could rehearse back to back. Sage says that Hope will back into her and step on her tail. Megan suggests blindfolds, but Hope says that it would mess up her cat ears. So Hope and Sage have created a problem, and they are just not taking any solutions. Many of these solutions are great, and I feel bad for the rest of the American girls in this mystery. 
Matt says that they should be replaced. Matt, coming in from the top rope. I like it. Cut them. Get the understudies involved. Yeah, I mean, he's right. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's the dress rehearsal. Get out of here. You got to contribute. Matt says they should be replaced, but Mrs. Mahoney says that there is not enough time because the play is tomorrow and no one else knows their lines. So they had no understudies in place. Poor practice. You think you would realize that after 35 years of doing this, Mrs. Mahoney? Yeah, but I work at a theater that also doesn't hire understudies, and you would think that after the same amount of time, we would learn, but we have not. (laughs) I stand corrected. Well, counterpoint, you don't have to pay child actors in a volunteer production. So true. Mm. You just get to make somebody feel special because they they could potentially play the lead. Yeah, no excuse, Mrs. Mahoney. (laughs) Marie has an idea for how Sage and Hope can rehearse with their eyes open without looking at each other or even touching each other. Mrs. Mahoney says that turning off the lights is too dangerous, but Marie says the lights will stay on with her plan. She whispers something to Noelle, who runs backstage. Marie then tells Sage and Hope to close their eyes. She guides Sage near the front of the stage and turns her back towards the audience, so she's facing the back of the stage. Then she guides Hope backwards, so she is six feet away from Sage and is facing her and the audience. Marie gives Noelle a signal, they wait a few seconds, and then they tell Hope and Sage to open their eyes and begin rehearsing. So I turn it to the two of you. What did Marie do so that Hope and Sage could practice without looking at each other? Can you repeat what she did, like, step by step? Because I missed some of that. (laughs) I got it. Let me take it from the beginning of the master plan from Marie. She whispers something to Noelle. Noelle goes backstage. Marie then tells Sage and Hope to close their eyes. She guides Sage near the front of the stage and turns her back towards the audience. And then she guides Hope backwards so that she is six feet away from Sage and is facing her. Marie then gives Noelle a signal, waits a few seconds, and then tells Hope and Sage to open their eyes and begin rehearsing. So I have two potential things that might have happened. One, Sage is at the front of the stage, right? Or is it Hope at the front of the stage? Sage is at the front facing back. Correct. Sage is at the front of the stage facing the back of the stage. I drew a diagram. Oh, amazing. (gasps) Let me see. (laughs) So I have Noelle backstage. Okay. And I have... Sage at the front and Hope in the back. And my thought is either one of two things. Either Noelle closed the back curtain and uh, put Hope behind it. Or it might have been a trick of the words that you said when you said Marie brought Hope to the back of the stage and put her six feet away from Sage facing her. It could have been facing Marie, so that maybe in that case, Sage is looking kind of at Hope's back. It could also be a combination of the two. I will say there's no tricky, wordy bullcrap in the mysteries, so okay, we so can go with your first guess. <laughs> yeah, they're facing each other. Okay, great. So my guess is that they pulled the back curtain. Okay. Becca, how about you? I have a very similar guess, but not the same, because at the beginning of this little mystery, you said that like the play is not together at this point, and oh, therefore yeah. there might be like set pieces on the stage that separate them. But the concept is the same, that they're facing each other with a barrier between them. But my guess is that barrier is some sort of set piece that's blocking the way between them. Okay, all righty. Well, I'm happy to report 
that Molly, you are correct. Noel yeah! dropped the curtain. That's exactly what it is. Becca, I'm still going to give you a bonus point for basically getting the same thing. My guess was <laughs> that they put a mirror between them so that they were looking at each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's close too. The idea is that there's like something between them mm-hmm. is the easiest solution. But my question is this. Are they performing this play with the curtain between them? Well, I am happy to read the full verbatim quote from the answer guide and this is what it says which is ridiculous quote marie and noel closed the stage curtain right between the two feuding girls they could open their eyes they could talk to each other but they couldn't see each other when hope and sage opened their eyes they began laughing the tension was broken and the rehearsal went on with the curtain open so i guess they just realized the errors of their ways because of how ridiculous the situation was and then everything was okay i find this not believable no absolutely not you would think that (laughs) Mrs. Mahoney could have done a little better conflict resolution than Marie, who is 12, you know, in my brain. One of the few things we know about Mrs. Mahoney, she's bad at conflict resolution. <laughs> so now we go into the halfway point. Molly is up four to two. We're going to take a quick break here. Here's some ads and stuff, which raise money for charity. Hooray. And then we'll be back for the final two mysteries. Final two mysteries. Final two mysteries. Do, 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 That's do, the official do, do. song, indeed. <laughs> Come along, fellow sleuths. It's time for the mid-roll break. First and foremost, we've got an update about something I mentioned last time. The Meddling Adults merch store is back in action at meddlingadults.com slash merch. You can get two pieces of merchandise. The first is physical. We have Idaville baseball tees. They're yellow and white. They say Idaville in an arc across the chest. They are modeled after a shirt that Sally Kimball was wearing in one of the original Encyclopedia Brown illustrations from one of the original novels absolutely stylish. I actually wear this and I don't wear my own merch because I think that's kind of weird. These things are wonderful. They're comfortable. They're great. Very fashionable. Lovely stuff. The merch store also has a digital item and that is a replay of the New York City live show that we did with Kelly and Johnny and it was a mix em up episode. So there was a Scooby-Doo mystery and an Encyclopedia Brown mystery and a Shelby Woo mystery. It was very fun. It was a live stream where they had a live camera operator with multiple cameras where this guy was doing picture in a picture stuff and cutting between and zooming in and out. It was a very immersive stream experience. So it's not just like one camera looking at us. It's a really fun, high quality stream, high quality video and audio. I think you will enjoy it. You can get both of those at middlingadults.com slash merch. Now, the only other update that I have for this episode is unfortunately not a very happy one. If you are familiar with any of the art in Meddling Adults, or if you listen to the credits, you would know that Ma'ayan Atias, who did the art for Meddling Adults, did an incredible job. Unfortunately and tragically, in between seasons three and four, Ma'ayan passed away. And I want to try and honor her in any way that we can on the show. She was a pleasure to work with for the art. She did the lettering that says Meddling Adults. She did that by hand. She did the art for the three kids in a trench coat design, which is still on the website. And the shadow of that is in our current logo. She was really great throughout that whole process of making the art. She was a nice person. Every time I spoke with her, she was a listener of my other podcasts as well. And in between the seasons, I heard from a friend of hers via Twitter about what had happened. And unfortunately, the circumstances are not great. 
if you want to skip ahead, you might want to skip ahead here. Ma'ayan's family believes that domestic violence is what is responsible for what happened. There is an ongoing case that has not been settled right now. The boyfriend has been questioned. I'm not exactly sure on where things currently stand. This episode is coming out near the anniversary of her passing. So in order to honor her, that friend who contacted me contacted her family and her grandmother suggested that we donate to a domestic violence charity. So I looked up some in the United States and I found one called WARM, W-A-R-M, Domestic Violence Rescue. The website is weallreallymatter.org and it is a nonprofit organization that does a lot of great work in the area of domestic violence. They empower survivors, they do emergency rescue, they help people out with various applications to get them into better situations, get them out of bad situations. They offer safe spaces, crisis management, advocacy, lots of different things that they do. If you want to learn more about them, you can go to their website, weallreallymatter.org. And I'm going to just match whatever donation goes to the winning charity of this episode. I will match that donation and donate it to this cause as well. So it's unfortunate circumstances. Mayan did great work for the podcast and was very nice every time I spoke with her. It's a situation where I just feel like I want to help more than I can. And just to try to honor her in this episode and this season and to make a donation feels like a fitting tribute. And I just just wish her family nothing but the best. So that's all I've got for the update here. You're going to hear some locally inserted ads if you're international. Those ads might be in your country's native language. Those advertisements help raise money for charity. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to the rest of this episode of Meddling Adults. Very lighthearted second half of the episode, which should raise all of our spirits. And we're back, and we're here for mystery number three. This one is called Witch Lady. It's Halloween, and Hope, Marie, and Noel are taking Hope's little brother Davy trick-or-treating. They get to a mansion, and they wonder who lives there. They've been around this neighborhood before, but they never noticed the mansion. It has a tall, wrought iron gate, an overgrown ivy that obscures the view, and overall just has general I'm-from-the-intro theme song to Scooby-Doo vibes. Mm-hmm. Davy asks if he can go up and trick-or-treat. The girls then notice the creepy decorations, and there's turrets on the house, and black shutters, an overgrown garden, a scarecrow, menacing-looking jack-o'-lanterns, and things hiding in the shadows. Generally, just bad vibes, so the girls are a bit hesitant to let Davy go up. A shadow starts approaching them, and this shadow is shouting, It's Wanda's house! And this shadow turns out to be a very small young boy in a pirate costume, complete with a treasure chest full of candy instead of a bag or a pillowcase. Adorable vibes for this tiny little pirate boy. Love him. You said that he has a treasure chest instead of a bag of trick-or-treats? Yep, he has a treasure chest for the candy instead of a bag, which I think is spectacular. Oh, because he's a pirate. Because he is a pirate, yes. Got it. <laughs> That's some A-plus costuming. <laughs> now, Marie asks this little boy, who's Wanda? And this little boy says, you know Wanda, she's the witch lady. And the girls are very scared. Hope nervously asks the boy if he likes Wanda. And the boy says, yes, she's nice and interesting, which I think is great that canonically, this is how this little young boy talks, like a cute little boy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> He's interesting. She's interesting. Mary asked. <gasps> okay. I got it. Okay. I'm sorry. I think I got it. <laughs> wow. I'm not going to be able to beat that. 
That's good. I will, but I won't say it yet. I'm very excited to see if you've already nailed it. Marie asks him if she's scary. The boy says that she's not scary and that she has a little cat. Noelle asks if it's a black cat because she's afraid of the witch lady. And the boy confirms that it is a black cat, saying that it is a skinny cat named Whale. Davy tugs on Hope's hand to pull her up to the house so that he can get candy, but the girls are still skeptical. This little pirate boy also mentions that the witch lady has a dog named Wiley, and that when he went up to trick-or-treat, she gave him a whole bag full of candy, which is why his treasure chest is full. Davy gets really excited at the prospect of lots of candy, so he tries to run up to the house, but Hope stops him by grabbing on to his tail of his dragon costume. Hope says that Wanda is trying to fatten up the kids with candy. Marie thinks that everything's fine and they should just go trick-or-treating. Noelle and Hope refuse. They're afraid that they're going to get turned into frogs or bats by this witch. Marie assures them that it is safe and takes Davy towards the house. So I turn it to the two of you. Why was Marie not scared of Wanda? Because. I, I Wait, I think I got it too. Okay. Becca, go first. Molly, I'm so sorry. I think I'm going to take this from you. But oh, I no, got it's, it so if, you, if you both get it, it's fine. We play by honor code rules here oh, where okay. if you both have the same answer, it does not matter who is first. Uh, Wanda or maybe even Rhonda is a rich lady, not a witch lady. Is that your guess, Molly? Yes, of course. That's my guess. And her dog's <laughs> name is Riley. Yes, that is exactly it. I'm, is that when you said <gasps> you knew right off the jump? Yeah, because I said it's interesting. And then I was like, because on my notes, I said witch lady. And then I said, witch lady. And then I thought to myself, rich lady. <laughs> Amazing. Please also send me a photo of all your notes so we can put them on the Instagram because I love the note taking that is happening <laughs> and everyone needs to see it. Oh my God. My notes... I have the worst chicken scratch handwriting you've ever seen in your life. Like, I love it, though. Ooh, the subset arrows. That's really good. I really enjoy it. If you are afraid of your handwriting, you don't have to send it because I will put it on the social media. But Molly, I got it no. at least. Yeah. <laughs> also, even even more proof that I had the answer. I wrote Wanda the witch lady. And then I wrote rich lady. Boy has a lisp. I don't Except know if it's, it's a, list, a list, right? Yeah. <laughs> speech impediment, I guess, would be the, the term. It's a list for R's. Yeah. Was, yeah a speech impediment of some sort. Well, once we had all the W's, I was like, ooh, Wanda, which, ooh, there it is. I genuinely was so stoked when I put it together. I like full almost screamed out into the sky. She's not Wanda the witch lady. She's Rhonda the rich lady. I was so happy. And I will say you two both nailed it. I actually made the mystery a little harder because in the original mystery, instead of the dog being Riley slash Wiley, the boy says that the dog's name is Wussel. And I was like, all right, that's way too easy. (laughs) That's how I got it super easily. So I tried to switch it up. But I do love the skinny cat either being rail or whale because it could be whale like wailing, like yelling, or it could be whale as in a cat named whale, which I love animals named after different animals. Big fan of that. Yeah, I was trying to figure that one out because I was in my head. I was like, what is rail? Like whose name is rail? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was what I thought, too. And it took me a long time until I reread the mystery. And I was like, why did they say the cat was skinny? Oh, skinny like a rail. Oh, skinny like a rail. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't Mm -hmm. even get it until you just said it. That's also such a bummer of a cat name, even if your cat is skinny. Right. Also, weird foresight to have a kitten and be like, I predict this will be a skinny cat one day. Well, she probably adopted him. She adopted him as an elderly cat. Oh, okay. This is a way better headcanon. That's a really good headcanon. I like it. Yeah, I was going to say my sister adopted a very, very runty kitten a while ago. Now that cat is very fat, so. Adorable. Which is adorable. I love 
chubby cats. They're so cute. Mm. Adorable, adorable. Now, I will say, you both got three points for the correct guess. Molly, I'm giving you a bonus point for the second we said into Westing, you knew it. You're, you're getting the <laughs> speed you. bonus point. So currently, you lead eight to five as we get into our final mystery of this episode, which is called Light Housekeeping. So Marie has an Aunt Christine, with a K, just in case. Marie's Aunt Christine has offered to take Marie and Noel with her to Hawaii for vacation. However, Marie and Noel need to pay for half of the trip's expenses, even though they're in middle school, so they want to take on a bunch of small jobs around town to earn money. Okay. This writer has never been to Hawaii. I just don't. This writer has never been to middle school. <laughs> yeah, I was going to like, I had jobs in middle school, but I did not have cover half of the expenses of a Hawaii vacation jobs. I had save enough money for an entire year and buy a bike money. I did not have cover flights and hotels and food costs. It's absurd. I do not like Aunt Christine. I can't trust her at all. These people no are like 12. What are we doing? <laughs> Yeah. Also, like, invite your niece and her friend on a trip. Like, oh, I'm such a good aunt. I'm inviting you on the trip, but you got to pay. <laughs> also, just like they eat so much fish in Hawaii. It's so expensive. Yeah, but oh, it's so good. I mean, oh, uh, I mean oh, poke in Hawaii is really good. It's really good stuff. I used to live in Seattle, so going to Hawaii really wasn't that difficult of a situation. And we went there for an improv festival. And my oh my, that poke is divine. I went to Hawaii with a vegetarian and I forced him to stop at pretty much every poke stand anyway. Correct. Correct decision. He ate a lot of mac salad. Mm -hmm. But also, if you're doing tourism in Hawaii, make sure it's okay. Slash don't. Slash go somewhere else. Anyway, let's continue. <laughs> Marie and Noel need to pay for half of this trip. Absurd. Mrs. Peterson, who is the caretaker of the historic house on Maple Street, has offered to pay the girls to clean this mansion before it opens for tours. When the girls arrive the next day, they are given a tour by an older girl named Gwen, who is receiving training to be a tour guide while Mrs. Peterson gathers cleaning supplies. Gwen leads Marie and Noel into the great hall of this house, and she flips a light switch to turn on lights in the chandelier. And there's large chairs, there's sofas, there's decorative tables, and there's statues all filling the room. Gwen then tells them that the owners used to hold town meetings and dances and banquets in this great hall room. And she points to the staircase and carved into the banister of the staircase is this dragon. And... Gwen says, artisans carved this banister. Notice the glass eyes of the dragons. They then move on to the dining room, where Gwen points out that the family had the table shipped in from Italy and the grandfather clock shipped in from France. And then she points to some green and white china in a china cabinet. And then she says, imagine yourself gliding into this room for your first party. You see this house, this room, exactly as it was 200 years ago. All three of them are silent, imagining themselves in the past, when suddenly Gwen says that she needs to show them something that she's never shown anyone before, and she leads them through the house until she gets to a door. And before she opens the doorknob, she says, you won't believe this, and she opens the door, slides her arm in to turn on the light, and then screams. Noelle and Marie laugh, though, because they realize it's just a goof, it's just a cleaning supply closet, so Gwen has some comedy chops in her. <laughs> Mrs. Peterson then returns and asks if the girls enjoy the tour. They say yes. However, Marie points out that the tour script had an error in it. So I turn it to the two of you. What is the error and how did Marie know something was wrong with the script? 
Can you repeat? So after they go to the banister with the dragon and the glass eyes, mm-hmm. they go into another room and there's something from Italy and something from France. Yes. What room were they in and what was in there? They're in the dining room. Gwen says that the family had the table shipped in from Italy and the grandfather clock shipped in from France. She then points to some green and white china in the cabinet and then says, imagine yourself gliding into this room for your first party. You see this house, this room exactly as it was 200 years ago. And then they all imagine themselves back in time. I'm guessing these books take place in like the mid 2000s since that's when they came out. I feel like it has something to do with the fact that it's not 200 years ago. Hmm. But I will also say really quickly that the way that the room was described was very Jane Austen. (laughs) Oh, please enlighten us as resident expert, as opposed to me, resident, I like Pride and Prejudice. What makes it a Jane Austen description? (laughs) Oh, just like the description of this old, like artisanally put together room where they would hold like town meetings and balls in all these Jane Austen novels in these small towns. There were these meeting halls where they would all gather together and then it would double as a bunch of different things. For example, not to spoil anything, but this our episode will be out like later. There's a scene in Emma we just read where uh, there's like a description of a room that was like a ballroom. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I was thinking of that in this moment. Yeah. But it's not used as a ballroom because no one has a taste for dancing in the town. So it's used instead as like a gentleman's club of sorts. They like play cards and smoke cigars or whatever men in the era did. Yeah, and mm. Jane Austen lived around 200 to 250 years ago. <gasps> so. You know what this feels like? <laughs> uh, no, I can't say it. Let me say it. Well, the the way that I feel right now trying to solve this particular mystery feels like the second Harry Potter book where they're like, well, that was almost 50 years ago. And then they're like, so I'm like trying to think of like the exact timeline of what's happening here. It feels like it's not 200 years ago. I agree with you, but let me. What did Gwen say at the very beginning of the tour? At the very beginning of the tour, she says that the owners held town meetings, dances and banquets in the Great Hall room. Then she points to the staircase and says that artisans carved the banister, notice the glass eyes of the dragons. And then they go on to the dining room and that's where we get the table from Italy and the clock from France. I think that maybe, so I don't know the exact, um, like, how clocks work. No, clocks existed 200 years ago, right? I would assume. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Molly, what? (laughs) I was asking because I was like, maybe grandfather clocks came after 200 years ago, but those are probably a much older invention. Don't look at me. (laughs) So I feel like the answer to this riddle is that either the dragon came alive and did scare Gwen in the closet or um, that this is actually a Jane Austen novel. But the thing that is getting to my head right now is that the name of it is Lighthousekeeping or is it Lighthousekeeping? It's Light Space Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Because I was also, I wrote down Lighthouse keeping and light housekeeping and then i set that aside for later (laughs) i'm gonna actually say it's based on the puns where i feel like the chandelier maybe the chandelier wasn't there 200 years ago because light housekeeping oh Oh. Mm. and it's electric 
I was okay. going to say similarly but different. I think the way that Marie knows is that the script says, imagine coming in and seeing this exactly as it was 200 years ago, but there was a supply closet with regular old supplies in it. That's my guess. Okay, okay. And then, Becca, your guess was that the chandelier wasn't there 200 years ago? Because it's electric. Oh, wait, you're right. They turned on the lights, like, multiple times. Hmm. Well, I don't want to just steal your answer, but they did turn on the lights. I think... (laughs) Hmm. I will wait. I'll go with my original answer because I can't just steal Becca's answer, but I think (laughs) Becca's right. Okay, well, I'm happy to report Becca is right. It is the electricity that is the giveaway. Yeah, basically, she says the room is exactly as it was, and they keep flicking on light switches. So it's not exactly as it was. Light switches weren't around. So that means it's a very exciting episode here. We're tied eight to eight, meaning sudden death riddle time. Okay, so here's how it's going to work. We are going to be using the uh, honor code audible buzz system, the patented meddling adults buzzer system where I will read a riddle. And then if you think it's right, just say buzz. Whoever here first, I will let you answer it. And then we will turn it over to the other person. You'll If that first guess was wrong, but first person to get it right wins the episode. So can you buzz at any point in the riddle? At any point, you totally can. Okay. Oh, that's going to advantage Molly, <laughs> as we've learned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's the riddle. <clears throat> what kind of band never plays music? A rubber band. Uh, oh, you did not buzz. So buzz, I will go on buzz. to... <laughs> yes, Molly. I didn't even hear what Becca said because I was buzzing. Uh, okay. Rubber band. Okay, honor code, you didn't hear what Becca said? Yeah. Okay, then you are correct. Rubber band. <laughs> Look, rules are rules and Becca didn't buzz and Molly said she didn't hear it. If, really if nothing didn't. else, we are a stickler for form here. So by the technicality of following the rules properly, Molly, you have won this episode of Meddling Adults. Yay! I can't be mad about a bunch of pit bulls getting some money. <laughs> no one can <laughs> be mad. So no one can be mad. So yes, you have won some charity money for NY Bully Crew. How does it feel? It feels amazing. I mean, I have to say it was a tight game. It was a close game. I feel I feel almost like we tied because we kind of did. You we came got as close as moment. you could to tying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even the fact that you both got the riddle right, it was just a matter of <laughs> messing Which up the rules. Which one of us followed the yeah. rules? <laughs> I think this is the most even episode of Metal Adults we've ever had. So you can take that as pride. This is the most closely contested one possible. Wow. We'll take it as pride. And I'll take it as prejudice. I wasn't even trying to do that amazing. But Becca, yes, you still fought valiantly. And I am proud of both of you at this point in time, since we've already just alluded to it. You want to let the folks listening know about your podcast, Pod and Prejudice, and where they can find it, what's it about, all that good stuff? Sure. Uh, So Molly and I host a podcast together. We've been friends for like a decade now. Essentially, I've read a bunch of Jane Austen novels through my life. Molly has not before the podcast. And we're going through the Jane Austen canon, both books and movies together. Molly for the first time, me reviewing and guiding her through. And you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at Pod and Prejudice. And you can go to our website at podandprejudice.com. And you can email us at podandprejudice at gmail.com. Yes, it's a good podcast. Not just the episodes that I've been on. It's a good (laughs) podcast regardless. And I still remember way back when, when we had a coffee meeting when you were really early on in the process with it. And I was like, this is going to be great. These two people are great. This podcast is great. And look, it is great. So everyone everyone should check it out. It's a wonderful show. Can't recommend it enough. And thank thank you you for just uh, 
guiding us along the way and like being our pal throughout this whole journey. Yeah, no joke. Our coffee date back in like Greenpoint a thousand years ago, that actually gave us some advice that has blown us up in a huge way. So we're really appreciative of you. Let's go. I love it. Hey, I would not be where I am today in podcasting without people helping me. So when I can pass things along and help folks out, especially what I will say is one of the nicest can we talk to you please emails because I get lots of can I pick your brain emails and for the most part I go either no or yeah if you pay me <laughs> but the email that I received from you was so nice that I was like yeah, of course so that's uh I guess just advice to anyone write nice emails don't just say things like hey I want to do a thing and that's your job can you tell me like that's not how it works man I don't get free right. basketball lessons from Steph Curry that's not how it works at all <laughs> Are you calling yourself the Steph Curry of podcasting? No, is that on the I, I record? Shouldn't, no, that's me. Yeah, I should. I should not. That is far too high of praise. I should try to pick a basketball player that I don't know. Hmm, that's a deep question. How do I view myself in terms of an NBA player without underselling myself? I'm going to think about this and lay on a couch and look at the ceiling. But yeah, we've really is, given you some homework here. You're just going to tweet when this episode comes out, like, yeah, yeah. this how one. Do I, how do I properly rate myself without overhyping myself, but also not underselling myself? Because I am pretty successful, but I realize that I'm not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not the I'm Steph not the Steph Curry of podcast. podcasting by any means at all. But this was so fantastic. This was a blast. Thank you to you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And I got to say, if you're going to have two co-hosts of a podcast on and have a lot of mysteries... It, what better way than to have people be really, really tightly knit in a battle between two very confident mystery-solving meddling adults? Round four. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by me, Mike Schubert. It is also produced and edited by Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Google. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. And the web design is by both me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to help out the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash meddlingadults, signing up for a monthly pledge, or you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. All those funds help go towards our winning charities. And if you want to help in a non-monetary way, just talk about the show, whether you reach out to someone that you think would like the show or you post about it on social media, those things really help. Word of mouth helps podcasts a lot. And the more people that know about the show, the more people will listen and the more money that we can raise for charity. All good stuff. If you want to find us on social media, we're at Meddling Adults on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash meddling adults. And if you ever want to learn anything about the show, you can go to our website, meddlingadults.com. Make sure you are subscribed to Meddling Adults so that you don't miss our next episode, which will come out in one week next Wednesday, where we will be joined by Kyle Banduho and Alex McDaniel as they compete to try and solve some Scooby-Doo mysteries. It's some ridiculous stuff. It's a wild episode, and I think you will enjoy it. So make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcasts so that you don't miss it. We'll see you in a week. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.